Good evening, good evening. Come on in, like and share, like and share. Good evening, good evening. Hey, Jenna, Tanya, doing? Hey, big brother, how you doing, babe? Come on in, come on in, like and share, like and share. Good evening, good evening, my fellas. Hey, doing good evening. Good evening, iHeartRadio, Podbean listeners, Pandora, good evening. Thank you for joining. <clears throat> Good evening, sweetie. Good evening. Come on, get to Colossians 2. Let's get ready. Let me know if you can hear me, okay? You are listening to the Manifesting God podcast with your host, Marie Elizabeth. This podcast will uplift and thrust you into the manifestation of the promises of God in your life. Thank you so much for joining today. 
Today is Monday, November the 23rd. Everybody getting ready for their turkey day. Everybody's getting ready to, to get all, you know, just, just getting all ready for the holidays and everything. Everybody ready for Christmas, ready for something new, ready for something new, ready for the new year. Thank God he has bought us. He has kept us through this year. Good evening. This is the Manifesting God podcast, and I am your host, Prophetess Marie Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining me today. Let's get to Colossians 2, Colossians 2, and this letter is so, so, so relevant to us today. It is very relevant to us today because in this letter this is one of Paul's many letters but you know I want to back up a little bit because we need to understand before we go any further what actually makes Paul's letters so significant and it's important especially for where we're going with this topic today which I'll tell you in a little bit because in this letter Paul he starts off in chapter one and he's addressing the supremacy of Jesus Christ he's addressing the supremacy of Jesus Christ and then he goes down in chapter two and he's talking about his concern for the readers their spiritual welfare he's concerned about them and he addresses some things that are happening today that we're dealing with today he's talking about freedom from human regulations and life with Christ in chapter two he's also talking he's warning against false teachers in chapter two he's 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 making pleas with them to reject false teachers in chapter two and that is I mean all of this is so pertinent to today because today there we don't see a lot of um open rejection of false teachers while we might no no one is calling out the false teachers today no one is calling out those that try to um, bond put you in a bondage to the world today we we might move away from it but we're not calling it out we're not making it known that we don't agree all the time you know and he's also um he's asking them like i said to reject the false teachers um he's giving them rules for holy living and rules for christian households in chapter three i mean colossians you could you could understand god and what god requires in colossians just, just in Colossians alone, the book alone. And the, the part here that we really, that I really want to dig into for this Monday and next Monday is he's analyzing heresy, heresy. So he's opening their eyes to what is happening to them as believers. He's opening their eyes as to how the enemy, how the enemy uses certain pieces of what they believe to lure them away from God and and convince them in a in a mode of deception that they're okay that they're okay that what they're doing is right and what they're what they believe is right and there's no better person no better person to talk about these things than Paul himself than Paul himself and let's just talk a little bit first about before we go into Colossians 2 And like I said, we're going to do a part one and a part two on this one. So um, what he's talking about in this book, let's let's first understand when he was writing this. Okay, so it was written during him being in prison. 
him being in prison, it wasn't even written in his uh, in his state of freedom. So he's writing this out of his knowledge and out of his understanding of who he was and who he now is. OK, so at this time he's in Rome, he's in house arrest. That's in Acts uh, 28. He's in house arrest at this time. And then some have argued, you know, uh, theologians, they they kind of go back and forth with this when they say that Paul um, wrote. Um, to the Colossians from Ephesus. Some say he wrote from Caesarea, but um, most most of the evidence points to that literally he was in prison in Rome, and this is where he wrote um, this letter and some of his other letters to the Ephesians, to um, this one Colossians, to the Philippians, to um, Philemon. Um, and um, his letters are dated about 60 AD, about the same time now that he wrote to the Ephesians and that he wrote in Philemon. Okay, so remember now that we're talking about Paul. Now, remember, Paul was once Saul. And I'm just giving you some background because I want you to really understand the meat of what Colossians offers us today to digest today to use today. So remember, Paul was he was originally Saul. Remember now he was Saul and Luke paints that picture of who Saul was was and 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 Luke kind of paints him like like somewhat of a a wild beast just just someone just so passionate so passionate about what he believed that he believed that uh the I, the opposition he had a, a real hateful disdain and opposition towards those disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ uh that's in Acts 8 and uh, Galatians 1 he he just he just despised and he thought that he was doing the Lord's work by destroying them by destroying them so he he went after them with all of his passion with all of his might and he made he he you know it says in the word of God about Acts uh 4 it talks about you know his his um actual you know um what he went after like his actual like executions how he went aside from them went aside went aside and and actually went to kill christians went to kill christians so we're talking about a person now remember he was once saul and what i'm describing to you now is who he was what gives him the right to write a letter like this I'm giving you his background so that you can understand where he came from and that he knows what he is talking about. He actually went and got letters. He went and got letters to be able to go in and 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 crucify for lack of a better word to just purge or to kill Christians just for what they believe. So his hostile has his hostility towards Christianity as Saul, as Saul, it, it presents in this particular scenario in this letter, a challenge, but it also is hope that even the worst of the worst, God can deliver. Even the worst of the worst, God can deliver. It might be your enemy today trying to kill you today, but it might be a witness for Christ tomorrow. It might be a witness for Christ tomorrow. But see this challenge that Paul is under, this challenge that he's under as God's enemy. We don't take it lightly. We don't breeze by it because 
Otherwise, we breeze by his wisdom, his wisdom and how he is able to explain to the Colossians how you should not, how you cannot be uh, deceived. See, because you got to remember, Paul was happy. Saul, Saul was happy in his spirituality. He was happy. He was happy doing what he was doing. He thought he was doing the Lord's work by killing Christians. He thought it is a heresy. He himself was deceived. So this is not this is not a a a, a man as Saul that we should take lightly because there there's a lot that we can learn from Saul that we can learn about our enemy about the enemy that we can learn from Saul from Saul and so as he as he the Bible goes on to tell us that as he goes on to uh yet with the letters in hand as he goes on um travels into uh Damascus um he's 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 hit by a light he he's he sees a light everyone that's traveling with him they see this light however However, everyone that's traveling with him sees the light of the Lord, but he's the only one that sees more. He's the only one that sees more and it's so overwhelming to him. It's so overwhelming to him that he literally falls to the ground at the sound, at the sound, at the sound. He literally falls to the ground and theologians believe that the sound that he heard it reminded him of what is called bat call bat call and that is the daughter of the voice and this is the way that pious Jews which Paul was pious Jews believed God I'm sorry which Paul was not but what what Paul this is what let me say this right this is what Paul, they, theologians believe that Paul was referencing as pious Jews believe that God directly communicated, communicated with human beings since the gifts of prophecy. Remember it had ceased with Malachi. The gift of prophecy had ceased with Malachi. So to hear, to hear a voice now was foreign, was foreign and pious Jews thought that that was the way that God communicated with human beings. That's what they thought. But what instead that he was experiencing was God's divine presence, God's divine presence. So for someone like Saul who thought he thought he understood God, he thought that he was doing God's work. This is confusing to him. This is confusing to him. That he would be on the way to do what he thought was God's work. But now God is talking to him. God is talking to him. So the confusion comes in with who, 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 if I'm doing God's work and prophecy had ceased to exist. Now remember that it ceased, it had ceased at that time with Malachi and Paul is wondering, well, then who, who's talking to me? So then he asked the question, well, who, who is this Lord, Lord? See right here, we, be, we begin to understand Paul, him, him being in this confused state at this time, it, it just starts to, it starts to give us insight into, into not the enemy, but our enemies. It starts to give us insight into, into those that do not believe. 
those that do not receive Christ or those that do not understand him as in relationship with him as we do. It starts to give you insight to their confusion when God actually does address them, when God actually does go for their attention, when he actually does remove the deception away so that they can clearly see him see him for who he is see uh had at this point experiencing god uh he he actually paul was able paul having this experience it he was having this experience right in the middle of his piety right in the middle of his arrogance and right in the middle of it we get to see how he thinks how he hears and how he sees. So this gives us insight into, into uh, the conversion process, if I could say it like that, the conversion profit process from sinner to saint. It gives us insight into it. It almost gives you a sense of empathy because it tells you they don't know, they don't understand. They have no relationship. So hearing, they cannot hear. Seeing, they cannot see. Not until God moves. God moves away the fog of deception. The wall of deception. Can they clearly see God? And even then, the question, the question comes, Lord, is that you, Lord, because all the while, all the while, what they thought God was, what they, who they thought God was, what they thought they were doing that was God. Now they realize it's not. Now they realize it's not. And it's the same is with Saul in this moment. He has that aha moment right then. And we're witness to it, to his aha moment where he begins to reconcile truth. To reconcile his truth with the true and living God. Okay. This is when he comes to grips and the realization that the life that he's been living, the zeal that he's been applying to persecuting the church has in reality been ignorance and unbelief. So, so pause for a moment because the man that wrote this letter, the man that is analyzing heresy in this letter is in essence, giving us insight and giving us a view into what he was, what he lived in, what he lived through. And see, I know that most of you listening to me was born in Christ. We came out the womb. In the Lord, we've always understood him. We've always had a relationship with him. We've always clearly followed every commandment that he's given us. We've all, well, I mean, we came out the womb hole. And I'm telling you, I'm talking to babies that are writing me letters and they are like, Lord, it, who are you, Lord? Because they thought they knew God. They grew up in church and they got out on their own into college, got out on their own, 
and got married, got out on their own, had a family, got out on their own, are a part of a ministry today, and they are realizing that they never knew God. All the zeal that they applied to what they thought they knew was really positioned them to be an enemy of the cross to be an enemy of the cross. So Saul at this point is beginning to realize, wait a minute, all this time I've been walking in disbelief. All this time I've been walking in unbelief. And he began to consider why, why? And he accepts the divine perspective on his actions. He accepts it in a moment, in a moment. Who are you, Lord? It took a moment, a moment as he considers the why of his actions. His whole spiritual world was turned upside down. It was all turned upside down. What was once a what what was once a badge of honor is now a shameful blot on his character. So imagine having to live with that. What you tried to kill, you actually are. What you try to destroy, you now are. How do you reconcile that? Out of Paul's confusion, the word of God tells us, he calls out, who are you, Lord? Question mark, who are you? He receives divine disclosure and a clear reply. When the Lord says to him, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I'm the Jesus that you are persecuting. Can you imagine his trauma in that moment? He thought he was serving God. Now he finds out, no, no. Your actions, your letters that you sought after to kill the Christians, you were persecuting him. All those words, those negative words you spoke against this, bruh, this one over here, they were all persecuting Christ. They were all persecuting Christ. Oh, oh what about this? What about the Paul, the Saul that was standing there holding the coats of the folk that were stoning Stephen? Oh my God. Oh my God. That same Paul, that same Paul is realizing, oh my God, Stephen was telling the truth. Stephen was right. Stephen was right. And I held coats while they killed him and stoned him rather than come to his aid, rather than protect him rather than protect him see because right now let me tell you something the reason why i'm i'm trying to paint this picture for us is because the reason why i'm trying to paint this picture is because there are going to be many and i mean million that are going to realize the way that i thought i was going that was of christ was not and what I tried and what I did at times kill and destroy. I now am. I now am. I now understand. I now have a relationship. How do you know I how do I fix? 
how do I, how do I get around the mess that I've made with my mouth? How do I get around the folks that I killed with my mouth? How do I get around the folks that I slammed the door in their face when they, when, when they try, came to me for help? All in the name of, I'm a Christian, I don't have time. All in the name of, I believe this about God. And because you don't believe that about God, I can't, I can't associate with you. See, what the picture I'm painting is simply one to say that um, when we, when, when, when the millions that are about to come, come to Christ, some of us, unless we change our presentation of Christ, they're going to walk right past some of us. They're going to walk right by some of us. The reason why they're going to walk some up by some of us is because the arrogance and the piety that we gave them when we met them, when we engaged with them, it wasn't of Christ. It wasn't our, our character was not of Christ. So they won't want what we have to offer. They're going to look for the person that always had a kind word for them that always encouraged them in God, even when they were walking just straight up backwards, they're going to look for that person, that person that always had the hand out, even when they slapped it away, even when they slapped it away. And so it's this Paul, it's this Saul that we're referring to this, this Saul that God met and God moved the wall of deception away and God moved of the cloud of deception away so that he could see him clearly so that he could see him clearly. And it's this same Paul that writes in Colossians two, to be to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. And of the father of Christ in whom are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Verse four says, and this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. It's that Paul. It's this, it's that, it's that Saul that pulled those words out of Paul's lips so that Paul could express that acknowledgement of the mystery of God. God, understanding God is a mystery that has unfolded. It's a gift for us. It's a gift for us that we ought not take for granted. And it says, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the mystery of God revealed, unfolded to us, reveals treasures of wisdom and treasures of knowledge. And I just like the way Paul says that because it's like he's delicately unfolding that for the church at Colossus. He's unfolding it for them. He's saying that, that, that mystery that, that I gave you, that I, that I taught you that, that, you know, you can't, it's, it's a treasure. There's, there's, it's a treasure of wisdom. It's a treasure of knowledge. Not everyone is going to get that understanding that you got. See, Paul had insight that could not be debated because he was on both sides. He had been on to the other side. The goal is not to stay in ignorance or be lulled into deception, but to gain insight and strategy to be able to strategically wage war on the enemy, just as 
He has strategically waged war on you. And he demonstrates this through his writings. Paul is demonstrating the, the strategies of the enemy through this writing in Colossians. And I, I just invite you to examine it because there's so much, there's so much food in here to digest as a Christian. And in my opinion, the way Paul writes this letter is like a symphony to the very disposition of who God is. It's a symphony of God's character. I mean, the way he 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 gives his apology for who God is, his defense for who God is. This is a man who has an understanding, an understanding of the mysteries. This is a man who has delved into the treasure of knowledge and wisdom that God has freely offered to him. He used his experiences while on the enemy's side to strategically uncover for his readers how they've been taught and how they've been slowly and quietly been strategically replaced now, piece by piece, with a false doctrine of truth. He literally exposes how what they've been taught is slowly and quietly being strategically replaced piece by piece with false doctrine of truth. That is our conversation today. We expose about one of Paul's, one of the strategies that Paul mentions here, because we are unable you know, we, we, we will be unable to manifest the promises of God in our lives if we cannot see through the mirage. We're talking about seeing through the mirage. That's what we're talking about. I said what I said to paint a picture of you so that you can understand that Paul is qualified to expose what he's exposing to this church. He's qualified to expose to us today, even today, the false truths of today. His words still expose today the false truths of the enemies. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about the people that he's talking to in this particular uh, letter. Let's talk a little bit about Colossus the people at the church of Colossus. Okay. So, uh, several hundred years before Paul's day. So we talked about Paul. Now we're going to talk about the people that he was talking to. Okay. So Colossus had been a leading city in Asia minor. It was a leading city. It's, it's today is Turkey, but then it was Asia minor, right? It was located at the, listen to this at the Lycus river and on the great East wind trade route leading from Ephesus on the Aegean sea to the Euphrates River, okay? So by the first century though, they now remember where they were located, major trade, major trade. So where trade is going on, that tells you exchange of wealth, exchange of wealth, okay? So they were, so they these people, they had wealth, they had, they had product, there was exchange going on and they were in the midst of it, right? But by first century AD, diminished. It had diminished to a second rate market town. So you went from being the main point, a main focal point of trade, 
the main focal point of market to now you're like the farmer's market. You're a, you're, you're a, not the farmer's market is bad, <laughs> but you're like a second rate market town. You went from all of this to little of this. So what happened was, um, they were, um, they were succeeded by the neighboring towns. So the neighboring towns begin to take on that trade and kind of push them out. And this is important because what happened was, um, in the New Testament was during Paul's three-year ministry in Ephesus, I want to try and pronounce this name right. His name was Epaphras. Epaphras. I'm saying it right. Epaphras. I'm trying to remember how I heard it played in my ear. Epaphras. He had been converted when Paul was ministering Ephesus. So he carried the gospel to Coloss, right? So he carried the Coloss, he carried the gospel to Coloss and the young church, and it was a young church that began to grow in Coloss, right? They began to grow. So they became, because they were young and because they were new to God, they became a target of heresy. They became ones that, that, that people um, thought to be easy to deceive. And what Epaphras did, he went and visited Paul in Rome and he told Paul what was going on. And Paul wrote this letter based on what Epaphras told him. So um, perhaps as a result of the efforts of Epaphras and the converts of Paul, Christian churches had also been established in Laodicea and Heropolis. Some of them were house churches. More than more than likely, most of them um, were attended by Gentiles. Now, okay, so that's that's the people that Paul is talking to. So now we understand who Saul was, what qualifies Saul, who is now Paul, to speak on and expose and analyze heresy. It, it we understand how Colossus. God came to came to know God through Epaphras, who came to know Paul when Paul was in Ephesus. So we understand Col the Church of Coloss to be a Gentile, mainly Gentile church with young believers who were a target for heresy. And what I want to first talk about is to is, it excites me is that Paul, I love the way he shows us strategy here. Because Paul, when we read this book, he never speaks directly to the opposition. Rather, he just exposes it. He just exposes it. And um, an and, 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 and analysis of his, um, his refutation of the heresy suggests that the heresy was coming from different directions. And it was diverse in nature. So we're talking about a young church. A young young believers and they were basically um, getting getting their getting words coming at them from different directions and like I said I love the way Paul exposes it because the way he exposes it is not to come this way to its face but he comes and he just basically he he tells you what it is he tells them what it is and he he basically begins to teach them right from wrong yes from no truth from a lie just to open their eyes to open their eyes that they could understand what they're actually what actually is happening to them right now see because these are people who were being hit by let me pronounce it right ceremonialism 
ceremonialism and ceremonialism was about strict rules. It was about, you know, they were, you know, about food and drink. Don't drink this. Don't eat that. Um, you should attend this religious festival. You should not attend that. Um, be circumcised. Don't be circumcised. You know, this is what they were being hit with in chapter two. They were also being hit with asceticism asceticism and that is the you know the old people used to say do not touch do not taste do not uh you know do not mishandle do not handle the the things that are not god you know that that type of thing like they were being hit with a lot of strict rules and strict regulations they were also being hit with angel worship they were being they were being hit with language that depreciated the value of christ you know, and so that's why Paul had to come back and talk about the supremacy of Christ. Right. And so then um, they were being hit with secret knowledge, you know, um, and that was something that, you know, the Gnostics boast about, you know, having this this insight, you know, this this insight to Christ that no one had. And see, they were using things that they had been taught to kind of slowly lure them away from what they knew. And they were using things like, you know, when Paul talked about the hidden treasures and wisdom, like they would use that, like that's a, that's a secret thing, you know, secret knowledge to Christ. And, and they would, and the, and the church was, the people were buying into it because they were literally taking bits and pieces of what they understood and, and luring them away with what they knew to be true. But then when they got to, they were, they would expand on it to be a whole, a whole nother heresy, a whole nother heresy. They talked about, they were also being allured away with reliance on human wisdom and tradition in chapter two. But we're going to talk about that because see all these elements, they, they fall into certain categories that they were being lured away from Christ. in. they, they, they kind of, um, fell into Gnosticism and they fell into Judaism. Is I'm saying it right? Judaism. They fell into that. And it is likely that therefore that the Colossian heresy was a mixture of extreme Judaism and the early stages of Gnosticism. And the reason why I say the early stages of Gnosticism, because theologians believe that Gnosticism hadn't yet been fully formed you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, they might've had like one or two components of it, but they didn't have the full, the full as it may exist today. And we're, we're, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. And I'm still just setting the stage and I'm still just setting the stage. See, because a lot of times we don't understand what God is saying because we don't take the time to understand who's talking and we don't take this time to understand who they're talking to. And when you don't understand who's talking and, and I'm talking about reading the Bible and who they're talking to, this is how you mistakenly take things out of context and you, cause you don't understand the full picture and you have to read sometimes before I read, I'm getting ready to start a different book in the Bible. I will go and look at the, I am, um, I am, um, I always say I'm a very visual learner. I need to see it first. So I will go and I will read the outline that tells me what the different chapters are going to talk about because understanding the outline helps me to understand what I should 
pull what, you know, it helps to guide my understanding when I'm in a particular chapter. If I already know that that chapter is supposed to be talking about this, then I, I can kind of align my understanding to this. So that's why I do it. And then the person that's talking, I might read about them to find out who they were. And then the group that they're talking to, if they're writing a letter such as Paul, I will read about them to find out who they were. So in actuality, I'm sharing with you some of my Bible study, how I came to understand how significant what Paul is saying to us in this day and time, while it was significant, and it's just as significant today. Okay. So we know that what they were talking about in this book, um, Paul, they fell into two gat two categories. It was either extreme Judaism or it was Gnosticism. So um, careful analysis of chapter two, it tells us that heresy here is referred to there is not noticeably less developed than Gnosticism. Because remember, I told you that Gnosticism at this time, it, it was not fully, fully developed. So they only had a few seeds of it being that we're only talking about the extreme Judaism and the early stages of Gnosticism. Gnosticism, a name that indicates the assumption of superior, superior capacity for knowledge. Gnosticism in its diverse forms receive its impulse and its main guidance from the pagan philosophy. In different ways, it is it denied the humanity of Christ. It denied the humanity of Christ, even to the extent of denying the reality of his human body. Okay. For the Gnostic, the nature of that which is truly man is spiritual. And the essential principle in the saved person is the spiritual seed or the nature planted in him. Now, Judaism, on the other hand, is a collective religion, religion, cultural and legal tradition and civilization of Jewish people. Judaism is considered by religious Jews to be the expression of the covenant that God established with the children of Israel. So you say, well, what could be extreme about that? What could it be extreme about that? We can think back to the Old Testament and we could just think about the law. And we could think about the different letters that Paul has had to write to tell the modern day Christian how when Jesus came and died, his blood, the fact that Jesus came and died, he removed the law. He, he became that sin for us because the law disciplined the flesh, but it didn't bring the people spiritually, make the people more spiritually aware and understand relationship with Christ. So we want to be, we want, that would be your, your extreme point of, of Judaism. And for Gnosticism, it would be the fact for us today that, um, it, that it simply denies the nature that denies if it's, if it's denying the, um, the nature of what truly, if truly man is, then it's denying the fact that Christ himself was a man in this earth and he walked the earth. So that's our issue there. Now, Christianity, on the other hand, we're talking about, 
um, namely that Christ is God. He was born of the flesh, that his sacrificial death atones for the sins of humankind, and that his resurrection from the dead guarantees eternal life to all who believe. So you can see when I'm telling you the definition of Gnosticism, and then you think of extreme Judaism, you can see how they could take pieces pieces and introduce it into Christianity that could sway a new believer that could sway a new believer and so here in this letter is what Paul is addressing this is what Paul is addressing see um I like to, like I said earlier, I like to understand the history because I believe it's a means of painting that whole picture. And it adds, for me, it adds color, shape, and size to my understanding. So review, we know who Paul is once as Saul. We know who the church in Colossae is. So we know who Paul is and we know who he's talking to. And now we understand what Paul is talking to them about. Gnosticism, Judaism, and Christianity, and the heresy, which would be someone trying to mix them all together to lure the new believers away from the true and living God, but instead lure them in to a false, a false belief, a false belief. A false belief and the way Paul writes this letter he's strategizing his teaching he's strategizing his teaching and he simply reminds them of the truth he gives them the information the truth needed to discern for themselves because remember they're new believers so he's not gonna beat them up but he's just going to explain the truth to them he's helping the readers to see through the mirage uh, through the theme of this letter, he is simply showing the reader the complete adequacy of Christ as contrasted with the emptiness of mere human philosophy, a simple compare and contrast. Sometimes what, I, what the reason why I wanted to share all of this with you all, because sometimes we launch into a debate and a battle when we're talking to other people about Christ. But sometimes it's just a matter of simply doing a compare and contrast, a compare and contrast what you believe versus what I believe can give a person so much insight so much insight so it kind of helps me to also like ephesians uh, 3 and 9 says to summarize our role as christians and paul does an excellent job in this letter he's simply making all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery uh -huh, which from the beginning of the world has been hid in god who created all things by jesus christ so however However you do that, whether you're the apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, or evangelist, however you do that in your role, your job is to cause all men to understand the birth, the life, the death, and the power of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just him, not you, just him. Everything, everything, especially now that there is a lot of activity online, everything that is referencing God to be complete in him should point the listener back to the supremacy of Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. 
and reference his birth. And I start with his birth because it helps us to understand that Jesus Christ did and did, did indeed live as we did. We do, I'm sorry, as we do. So he understands what it's like to be a spiritual being in an earthly body. He understands this. There is nothing that we can go through that Jesus Christ doesn't understand. Then I go to his life because he has his experiences, his death, his, pers his persecution, and the power of his resurrection, the reason why our relationship, our salvation exists today. So we have to cover when we're speaking and we're online and we're talking to, we don't always know who, and we don't know if we're going to get the second opportunity. We must always speak to the supremacy of who our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and why that is so powerful and means so much to us today. So for some, we take in such a wide and random diet when it comes to the word of God. And then we wonder why our lives, our thoughts, and extinct disciplines are all over the place. It's because we do not keep ever before us the life, the death, and the resurrection, resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must consider above all things the supremacy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our actions should consider the supremacy of our Lord and Jesus Christ. Our inactions should consider the supremacy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And see, Paul, to accomplish this goal, he exalts Christ as the very image of God in chapter 1, verse 15. He notes the Creator, chapter 1, verse 16, the pre existent sustainer of all things, chapter 1, verse 17, the head of the church, verse 18, still in chapter 1, the first to be resurrected. Verse 18, still in chapter 1, the fullness of the deity in the bodily form, still in chapter 1, 19, you know, and the reconciled, still in chapter 1, verse 20. Thus, Christ is completely adequate. He is adequate for everything that we need. We have been given the fullness of Christ, chapter 2 tells us. On the other hand, the Colossians heresy was altogether inadequate. Paul points that out in this book. The heresy is inadequate. It was hollow and it's a deceptive philosophy. In, ver in chapter 2, verse 8, lacking any ability to restrain the old sinful nature. Chapter 2, verse 23, the theme of Colossians is the complete adequacy of Christ as contrasted with the emptiness of mere human philosophy. This is why we give you as ministers the word of God. We expound on, we teach on the word of God. We don't give you our humanity. We don't give you mere human philosophy. Why? Because it is fully inadequate. When you compare it to Jesus Christ, it is fully 
and adequate. So again, Paul says in Colossians 2, uh, chapter, uh, verse 2, 2b, I'm talking about the second part. So 2 and B, the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father, Father and of Christ, in whom are hid all treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So everything we need is in God. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. So I'm telling you up front, there is, yes, there is, there is. God is mysterious. There is a mystery to God and of the father and of Christ. But the mystery, the mystery once unfolded will reveal treasures of wisdom and treasures of knowledge. So he tells them, and I'm skipping down to verse eight, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. See, because in God are treasures and wisdoms and knowledge, but in man is philosophy, vain deceit and traditions of the world. So you get that in God are treasures of wisdom and knowledge, but in man is philosophy, vain deceit, and traditions of the world. So you have to decide which one you want. Paul is telling them here, everything you need is in God. So you don't have to look to a man to bring you anything that is because you have it all in God, in God. And he had to, he had to, he had to put that to them that way. He had to say it to them that way because of all the words that were coming at them to, um, dilute the word of Christ that had already been planted in them that had already been planted in them and verse 13 I'm skipping down chapter 2 verse 13 it says and you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him to make one alive together he quickened it together so he made you alive together with him having forgiven you of all trespasses he left your trespasses down under he left your trespasses when he did when he descended but when he ascended he made you alive with him for he forgave you of all your trespasses verse 14 says he blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us any accusations that were that was against us, God blotted it all out, which it was contrary to us. Anything that was contrary to us being spiritual, spiritual beings in Christ, redeemed by Christ. Anything that was contrary to that, he blotted it out. He took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. He nailed it to the cross. Remember, we're talking about seeing through the mirage, seeing through the deception that would be philosophy or vain deceit or traditions of the world, seeing through it. Those in Christ are those that are in Christ. They are in a relationship with him. Their sins are forgiven. Our flesh is not disciplined or cut by the world, but is displayed to walk with Christ. Our flesh is supposed to be our display of our walk with Christ. I'll say that again. Our flesh is supposed to be our display of our walk 
with Christ, with Christ. Verse 15 says, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made show of them openly. He triumphed openly. So what he's saying is it's been proven already. It's been proven already who Christ is, what Christ is, has already been proven, has already been proven. So we don't have to question it. We don't have to question it. It's already proven. Verse 16 says, let no man take your life that Christ has given you and force it to conform to a worldly system. Why? Because your life is together with Christ is together with Christ. Verse 16 says, let no man therefore judge you attempt to make you conform to the world Mm -hmm. and meet or in drink or in respect of a holy day or in a new moon or in a Sabbath day. Don't let man do that to you. Don't let him put you under legalism. The very thing that Christ died to deliver you from. Let no man take your life that is in Christ, that Christ has given you and force it to conform to a worldly system. Why? Because your life is together with Christ. For anyone who attempts to make you conform to a worldly life, if to, if to, uh, Uh, to a worldly life, if to attempt to make Christ is attempting. Okay. Let me say it right. Any person that's attempting to make you conform to a worldly life to make you conform is attempting to make Christ conform. Why? Because Christ is in you. Christ is in you. So they're trying to undo the work of the cross. They're trying to undo the death on the cross that has brought life to you. Okay. The the death on the cross where forgiveness of trespasses, where it was completed. They're trying to undo that. We will be going backwards to first be living in Christ and then not only make ourselves, but choose to conform to live in or of sin. We'd be going backwards. We'd be going backwards. We'd be accepting life within the mirage, within the mirage. So verse 17 says, which are a shadow of things to come. So what, what are a facsimile of things to come? So it's not true. It's not true. What, which are a shadow of things to come. Let no man therefore judge you. Remember now, attempt to conform you to the world and meet or drink or respect of a holy day or a new moon or a Sabbath day. Verse 17 says, which are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. So we don't have to accept the facsimile. I reject the facsimile when I have the real thing. I have the real thing, which is Jesus Christ. Anything the world can offer us is only but a mirage. It is not God or of God or of God. And I want you to think about this real quick. And I'm a, I'm going to probably pause right here and we'll pick it up next week. But when God was giving this to me, I was with a sister of mine. And um, when I was writing it, when I was writing Mirage, I kept misspelling it. And I kept coming up with marriage. And I'm like, no, that's not, I want the word Mirage. And um, she said to me, she says, well, when you think of spelling it, spell, think of my rage. Think of my rage. 
Think of it like that. Think of my rage, you know? And I said, wow. I said, that's, that's really something that, you know, you would break the word out like that because, um, knowing French, my is me, am I. So that helped me to get to spelling mirage. But when you think of it as my rage, it's like, consider, consider the fact that it's all in the presentation It's twofold. What, what wants you to, what one wants you to see and what you want to see my rage, what I want to see, but what someone wants me to see. See, because the Bible tells us that we are lowered away from God. We are lowered away from Christ by our own lust. Something in us wants the thing that's lowering us away from God. And if we think about uh, mirage, it's it's really, and think about it in that context, that my rage, when you think about spelling it, M I being French for my, when you think about spelling it, it's, it's a, it's something because it's telling you that a mirage is, is something that you're seduced away from for it's used to seduce you away from God, but it's twofold. It's part what someone else wants you to see, but it's also part what you want to see, what you want to see. So we want to, if someone, if anyone is able to twist something, if they're able to twist anything and get another to believe and receive, it has to first tap into the other's desires. It has to tap into what they want. See, the Bible talks about risking the scriptures, but see, when you think about risking the scriptures, it's a, it's a case of exposing a virtual reality of one's own choosing. It's, it's what you wanted. It's what you wanted. I only pulled out of you what you wanted. It's your own choosing. It gives them the ability as gods to open doors that no man can shut. It gives them, it gives one that is trying to seduce you into a mirage. You're giving them the ability to open a door that no man, you man, don't want to shut. You don't want to shut demonic doors where one can buy and through deteriorate the mind of Christ. They can deteriorate the minds of Christ. Peter says it like this in second Peter, and I'm getting ready to stop three, 14 to 17, 14 to 17. Wherefore beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye might be found of him in peace without spot and without blame and account for the long suffering of our Lord is uh, account and account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother, Paul also, according to the wisdom give unto the him hath written unto you all as also in these epistles, speaking of them, of these things and which are some things hard to understand, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction unto their own destruction verse 17 says ye therefore beloved seeing ye know these things before beware lest also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness 
you will fall from your own steadfastness when you allow, when you allow the unlearned, the unlearned, the unlearned to lead you away by your own choosing to expose that virtual, that virtual world that's in your mind. That thing that you want, I'm calling it a virtual world, that thing that you want, they're able to tap into it and pull that thing out, open that door so that that thing can be manifest. That is not of God. And remember, we're talking about exposing the mirage, exposing me rage, exposing it, giving it license to operate giving it license to operate. Paul's letters to the Colossians are exposing the mirage so that they can see, they can clearly see what is truth and what is a lie and they can make a decision. They can make a decision. Ladies and gentlemen, that was part one, part one of seeing through the, the mirage. We will talk more about it on next week. We will um, go to part two on next week, but for now we are done for today and I thank you so much for joining. Please uh, let me pray with you. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you so much, God, for revealing unto us the enemy's strategies and the enemy's tactics. I thank you so much for the word of Paul that will give us life today, that will cause us to war a good warfare, warfare today. I thank you, God, for your patience with us while our understanding is enlightened, while we come to know the hope of our calling that is in you. I thank you, oh God, that you have fixed our minds on your promises, fixed our hearts on your promises. I thank you, oh God, that you are exposing to us as the remnant builders, the enemy, the enemy and his tactics, the enemy and his strategies, oh God. And I thank you, oh God, that there are those that are being delivered today under the sound of my voice. I thank you, oh God, that eyes are being opened and they are seeing through the mirage of the enemy's strategies. They're seeing through the subtle words of deception that the enemy would use to lure them away from the promises of God, from the manifestation of God, from the walk of God. God, I thank you today that we are drawn to you and that we draw nigh unto you, O God. And we expect you now, God, to draw nigh unto us as your word has said, God. We expect you now, O God, to open the eyes of our understanding. We expect you now, God, to open our ears that we might hear you clearly, open our mouths that we might articulate your word. God calls us to walk in your grace and in your mercy mercy, God. We thank you, oh God, that you are our Lord, our Savior, our Deliverer, our King, that you are more than enough. You are more than enough. You supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. You rescue us from the hand of the enemy. You rescue us from the traps of the enemy. And we thank you, oh God, that you are all-knowing, all-seeing, almighty, all-captivating, every 
everything that we need. We thank you, oh God, that you are sharing with us the treasures of wisdom and the treasures of knowledge, oh God, to escort us into that next level of understanding of not only who you are, God, but who we are. We are in you, in you. Every listener under the sound of my voice, God bless them with the treasures of wisdom and the treasures of knowledge that are hidden in you. In Jesus' name, I pray, God, increase them all the more. Give them power in their understanding of who you are God in the name of Jesus increase God increase your people today increase your people today God in wisdom in wisdom and knowledge oh God thank you oh God thank you thank you for doing it today thank you for doing it now Thank you, oh God. We give you glory and we give you honor. Your magnificent name. We will forever lift up your magnificent name. We will forever give glory. You are a holy, worthy, wonderful God. And we love you today. Thank you, Lord God. 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 Thank you so much for listening on today. I appreciate you and I will see you on next week. If you would like to sow a seed into this ministry, I am Marie Elizabeth on um, PayPal and in Cash App. And I thank you so much for joining me. And until next week, God bless you. You are in my prayers. You are in my prayers. The Lord God bless you and keep you. The Lord God bless you and keep you. His kingdom come and his will be done in your life, in your life, in your life. Have a good evening.